Welcome to Is It Horror? I'm Joe. I'm Matt. And I'm Steve. If you haven't joined us for an episode of Is It Horror before, kind of the format of the show is uh, we will take a movie and eventually perhaps video games, TV shows, books, and we will review it and kind of analyze it and figure out if we feel like it qualifies as horror. Defining horror can always be a little bit of a sticky situation, and so that's why we like to take kind of films that are on the bubble a little bit and uh, just dig in, dissect it. And uh, should be forewarned, there will be spoilers. So if you haven't watched the movie that we're going to talk about, you should turn off the podcast, watch the movie, come back. Today's movie is going to be Green Room. Uh, That one is directed by Jeremy Saulnier. The story of that one is uh, you basically have this punk band that is traveling across country on a very shoestring budget, trying to just do shows, meet with their fans. They don't have much of a social media presence. They're kind of very off the grid and they are hurting for shows, and eventually they get set up to do a show at a neo-Nazi compound, which they don't agree with at all, but they really need the money, so they go ahead and go to that club and do it anyway. I guess club is more of a... It's more of a club than a compound. They do their sets, they go back to the green room. See? Title. Bringing it back in. Uh, They go back to the green room, and there has been a murder that has occurred there, and then they spend the rest of the movie kind of under siege trying to survive the night as this whole gang of neo-Nazis is trying to kill them and do their best to make it look like they're not trying to kill them. It's part of uh, Jeremy Saulnier's... I hope I'm saying his name right, but anyway, it's part of what he his self-described clusterfuck trilogy... (laughs) So the first of those movies would be called Murder Party. Next one's Blue Ruin, and this one, Green Room, is the third of those. They all kind of deal with an inept protagonist, somebody that really has no business surviving the situation they're in, but somehow still maybe makes it through in some of these films' cases. It's also kind of part of this bigger film movement called Mumblecore, or an offshoot of it called Mumble Gore. Some of the examples of mumble gore, if you're not familiar with that genre, be like The Guest, You're Next, The Innkeepers, the VHS series Creep. Um, it's people like Ty West and Adam Wingard and uh, uh, the Dumpless Brothers. So it's, it's stuff that they're working on. The whole mumble core idea is just the idea of like uh, the dialogue tends to be more naturalistic. The focus tends to be more on relationships and between people and... Uh, a lot of the dialogue in some of the earlier films, because of being naturalistic, some people had a rep- you know felt like I had a reputation of them being mumbled, and that's kind of where that comes from. That is the movie we're going to be talking about. I think it's an excellent movie. Uh, what's everybody's initial impressions on this one? So I went into this movie with not a lot of knowledge on it, uh, other than talking to Steve a few times. We almost watched it a handful of times, but then didn't get around to it. So this was my first viewing of it. Beforehand, just through some of our earlier conversations, I was open to the idea of it being horror. And after watching it, I agree it is a great movie. But I went, I came out of it not feeling like it was a horror movie. I liked it. Going into it, I had absolutely no idea what, like, I had never read a synopsis of the movie. I had no idea what I was getting into. 
Uh, I just saw that Patrick Stewart was in it. And I know that somebody told me that maybe from Arrested Development was in it, but I had forgotten that. So in the first scene, I was like, I know that girl. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, oh, it's maybe. And that was like, that's all of my initial first impressions. It's a good movie. Uh, a lot of gore. Interesting story. It got me kind of researching things that I had never researched before <laughs> afterwards. Okay, and, I'm really uh, excited to hear about that. Yeah, <laughs> me too. And yeah, so I watched it with my girlfriend too, so she had some interesting insights that I can kind of share too. So this is one where I meant to go see it in the theater and I have no idea what came up, but I didn't end up getting to do that. I have been kind of really into mumble gore as far as honestly I'm at the point where if you tell me that the movie qualifies as mumble gore I'll go ahead and watch it I don't even care what it is at this point because I've had a lot of real big wins on that one it's not to say that I've loved everything within that sort of film movement but the wins that I've had have been really big wins with me like this movie you're next the guest I, I mean I already mentioned a few of them just like some of them are some of my favorite movies at this point I've always thought of this as horror for the most part until we started doing this podcast and I'd occasionally think about this movie. And now I think I'm thinking of it more as a, I'm thinking of it more as a thriller. I'm not 100% sold on saying it's not horror, but I'm leaning hard that direction at this point. I have to hear some of the weird things that you researched because of watching this. <laughs> I was watching with my girlfriend and the first time they brought up the whole like red laces thing he's like only red laces and i was like what the hell is that and she was like let me google it and so like we found like this whole guide of about what different neo-nazi shoelace colors signify oh shoot there's other colors what do they all mean yeah <laughs> yeah so there's um if you're wearing white laces it's just to signify white pride if you are wearing blue laces, it means that you've killed a cop. If you are wearing red laces, it means that you are a neo-Nazi or can signify that you killed someone. These are supposed to be the, the meanest group of Nazis. There is the yellow laces who are anti-racism. The PC, like, I'm a punk, but I'm not racist kind of culture. Oh, okay. Purple laces are gay pride. And uh, black laces are no affiliation. Okay, because I was thinking you were going to say, like, all of these laces meant different things within, like, the neo-Nazi movement. So obviously some of them are counter to that. And it kind of reminds me, because I'm not going to sit here and say that I was as punk and hardcore as the people in this movie. I think to a degree I was maybe, I don't know. We'll say my my level of involvement was maybe something akin to more like what Reese said, because, you know, like he's there, he's in the punk movement, he's hanging out with them, but then he has to admit that his favorite album would be like his Desert Island album would be Prince. <laughs> so because I think it was one of those things when I was in the punk scene at the time, I think I thought I was like, oh, I'm hardcore, I'm in this. But really, I was I did, it's more like SLC punk, like I was a poser all along. <laughs> <laughs> But I, you know, but I, 
used to run with crowds of people where there would be a bunch that were staunchly straight edger. So you'd get that kind of thing where they'd make sure and have like X's on their hands and stuff. So you knew that, yeah, we're, we're punk, but we're straight edge. We don't drink. We don't smoke. We don't do drugs. And so I knew people that were hardcore on that side of it and making sure that they were running up flags about that kind of thing. But this whole like shoelace thing is new to me. And I know that at least for the director watching an interview with him, he was kind of talking about being in the punk movement and running like running into a bunch of neo-Nazis that were kind of at the outskirts of it. And I don't feel like that's something I ever encountered, but it was interesting to see that running into neo-Nazis within the spectrum of the punk scene is something that's actually pretty common. Interesting. I don't know. It's kind of weird. So I just have that sort of, I don't know, strange connection with my past, I guess, with this film in a way, but never getting into it as deep as any of these people are. That's fair. Uh, and I was also going to say, with these laces, it's specifically on Doc Martens. I don't know if that mm. needed to be said, but that was in part of the article, too. I mean, that doesn't surprise me, because Doc Martens and Punk just go together. Right. <laughs> so... <Yeah. laughs> I don't know. Something about that, like, tough counterculture thing. I don't know. It just fits right in there. There's probably more to it than that, but... And for anybody watching, these are not, like, hard and fast rules. You don't need to be persecuting somebody on the color of their shoelaces, so... <laughs> yeah, don't, they'll pay attention and be like, Oh, they're a Nazi! And they're just like, I just thought they looked cool! <laughs> yeah, it's like somebody could be doing this for some completely different reason. Any, anyhow, that was the little bit of research that we were like, okay, this what's going on with this? Yeah, that's interesting. All right, well, I guess so. Let's let's dig into uh, more of why this is horror and why it's not horror. I guess you mentioned the gore, so let's let's talk about maybe that aspect of it. Because I think the thing that's interesting about this film is that there's gory moments, but it doesn't necessarily. It, it shocks you with them, it hits you with them, but then it doesn't necessarily have to linger on it and spend the rest of the movie showing you those things. I'm just going to forget character names, but Anton Yelchin's character, Pat, like obviously he gets his arm all cut up, and they do shock you with it by showing you that initially. But then after they've kind of shown you it and given you time to, you know, just sort of accept that that's something that's happened they don't really show it as much after that. In fact, they spend most of the movie not showing it to you. It's wrapped up, it's in a jacket sleeve, it's under duct tape. It's it's kind of like, here it is, it's bad. You've seen it, you got a good eyeful. Now we'll go ahead and we'll put it away. Yeah, it certainly doesn't shy away from those gory moments, but yeah, you're. I think you're right. It doesn't really dwell on them. One guy getting his face shot off by a shotgun and, you know... I don't know, a couple of moments like that. The dogs, obviously the dogs. One of the things I'll say too is, that, I mean, I don't know exactly how they did everything because it seems like they did a really good job with uh, practical effects as far as the gore goes too. The only gore effect that I was watching where I was like, I don't know exactly how they managed to do that side of it and must have done some sort of quick cut, but when you have... um. Let's see, I think Daniel was his name. He gets shot in the face with a shotgun blast. They must have done some sort of quick cut on that. I think, to me at least, when you actually see the aftermath of the blast, it looks like it's probably a practical effect, but they must have had to have done some digital stitching to make that moment happen. 
It looked really good. Whatever they did, the practical effects combined with whatever quick shots they were doing. Yeah, I would say all the gore was really was really well done in general. Definitely like pretty gut wrenching to see some of those moments. And as I was watching it, I was kind of thinking in terms of does gore make a horror film? Because I've kind of thought about this before with like a film like Saw, where Saw is pretty, pretty uh, well considered like absolute horror kind of a thing by many people. And basically the only difference, there's really no difference kind of between this movie and Saw in terms of where the gore is happening or what's being inflicted. And Saw, a lot of it's self-inflicted things like you have to do this to get through something. But in terms of like what you're actually seeing on the screen as like as far as like how violent is this, it's definitely on the same level of violence. I was gonna say, I don't think you've seen Saw before, am I right, Joe? You are correct. But the first movie, and maybe I'm remembering it wrong, but I have watched it recently, it's not really that gory. I would say this movie's gorier than that because, I mean, there's implications, right? I mean, you get spoilers for Saw coming up here. <laughs> so turn this off and watch that movie. <laughs> but uh, when he goes to, when he cuts off his foot at the end, a lot of it's implied. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> he cuts Sorry. off his what? <laughs> All right, Joe, you turn the podcast off. You can watch it come back. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, like, there's that there's a whole moment. Like, he's putting the tourniquet on, and he's got the saw and all of that. But, like, ultimately, they don't show it actually happen. I mean, later movies, they their stance on gore clearly changes because they get, like, you know, blood's raining from the heavens practically in some of these. But in that first one, it's not that much. I would say Pat's character, Anton Yeltsin's character getting his arm hacked is far worse than anything shown in the first Saw movie. Yeah, I would definitely agree as far as like the first Saw movie goes. This this is far gorier. So if you want to talk about the gore scale as it relates to horror, this is definitely pretty high on my gore scale. <laughs> I was just looking at Joe's note over here. Certainly has it in the gore department. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was trying to decide if, I mean, we'd kind of already covered it, so I was trying to decide if I should say that specifically. But yeah, for me, <laughs> for me, yeah, I think it had it in the gore department um, between, I think the worst, the worst one for me was Anton Yeltsin getting his arm filleted, and then um, the dog attacks, the getting their jugulars ripped out, you know, and then there was various gunshots and other knife wounds and things like that, but the filleted arm i think was the most visceral <laughs> and i guess maybe all right so maybe that's another aspect of it right that maybe i would change my mind on it but the gore there's lots of movies that have gore some of it's played for laughs some of it's played for surprise some of it's not meant to be, look very realistic like you watch so for instance dawn of the dead at least with like gunshots like the the blood doesn't look particularly realistic I, obviously, it's a very gory movie, and there's lots of gore in there, and that probably turns someone's stomach. But at least from like just a standard gunshot wound and things like that, it's not particularly gut-wrenching, we'll say, I guess, for some of those moments. 
And I'm not talking about, you know, sequences where you're getting people obviously pulled apart at the end of the movie because there's no contest there. But one of the things, at least with Green Room, is that if there's gore, it's trying to make you uncomfortable with it. There's no gory moment that doesn't sort of... That's not, I feel like, engineered to try and turn your stomach a little bit. Like, when she takes the box cutter to the guy's stomach, you know, that's... Even though you don't like the guy, even though he's a bad guy, that's still... You feel it, you know? Yeah, that's the thing that's interesting about some violence in some movies is, like, it kind of gets played off as commonplace. Like, gunshot wounds and stabbings, they're like just, oh, you know, that happens all the time in movies and nobody really thinks twice about it but yeah i definitely agree with that like every time there's violence in this movie it's very it feels very real and feels very i don't know somehow more personal yeah i was as i was watching it i was kind of thinking you know from the onset when he gets his arm cut up it kind of sets the tone for the movie where you're just thinking okay Anything can happen now in terms of violence, and it can happen at any moment. They almost use that violence the way that, like, some movies will use jump scares. From that moment on, you're always tense about what you're going to be seeing, because you already saw this horrible wound. I wouldn't say they amp up from there, but they don't really come down from there ever. You just are never sure that you can be looking at the screen without seeing something like that again and i think to go along with that too they have it happen to arguably the main character it's not that there aren't other main characters but he's the big name in the room there as far as the actors go and he's the focus of the movie right like well more of the focus we'll say i mean i don't want to say that it focuses so much on him that you expect everybody else to die but i feel like he's definitely the character you spend more time with but i don't know what do you guys think maybe that's not really the case until the back half of the movie and i'm kind of projecting it onto the front half of the movie well yeah i don't know i guess watching through it like say at the start of the movie having no real preconceptions i wouldn't have necessarily pegged him as being the main character I but it was sort of a thing where like I don't know that I would say anybody else was really a, necessarily a standout. It was kind of just the whole band was the main character in Stelly until they started getting picked off. That's fair. Might have to watch it again and think about that. <laughs> I I'd, I'd have to agree with Joe like when it was down to just the 3 of them and they were exiting that room, I had no idea which one of them at that point was going to survive. None of them had stood out to me as a main char- as like a main character or a survivor yet. Yeah. This might be me kind of being biased because I've seen this movie probably at least half a dozen times, maybe some maybe even more than that. And then, you know, I'd seen all the poster artwork and so I don't know. I'm thinking of him as a main character, but that's that's a fair assessment. I would say up until he bites it, the guy that has like the big dude in an arm bar comes off to me as the main character early on. He seems like the guy that should survive. Yeah, he's the tough guy who knows what he's doing and is the one who at least is acting like he's got a plan (laughs) to some degree. 
And, you know, and it's kind of, I think the movie definitely planned it that way because he sort of dies prone unceremoniously in the middle of the movie and that's it for him. Yeah, and you you kind of see him break and basically just like they're coming in, they're gonna get us. There's nothing we can do. I just want to. I just want to run. I don't even care anymore. I just want to run, which I think is interesting because you get that concept happening over and over, both with the good guys and the bad guys, where they just like hit their breaking point. And it's not like some big obvious thing where it like focuses on them, you know, kneeling down and screaming to the sky or something. But you just hit these spots where like I can't take anymore. Anyway, not that this is exactly the the reason to discuss the movie, but it's one of the things I like about it is just seeing those different breaking points where they happen and uh, Anton Yelchin's character kind of settling into it. And maybe that's why he's able to make it out. Both him and Imogen Poots, I think that's how you say her name. Both of them just kind of settling into it and be like, all right, we've accepted this and somehow we've making peace with it as made us ready for it, you know, willing to not take it serious in order to survive. Yeah, on the same point there, I think there was a lot of realism in this in terms of indifference to other horror movies and that somebody gets completely, like, fucked up and then they just, like, run back to that one safe spot that they had before. Like, they don't continue forward, they don't, like you know, start screaming or lose their minds. They're just like, nope, 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 nope. Let's get the fuck out of here. Yeah. (laughs) This is a bad plan. Everybody run. (laughs) (laughs) And like, you don't see that a lot in horror movies. Sometimes it's always like, okay, well, we're continuing the plot. We're moving forward. Whatever is happening here. But in this one, it was just like, it was, I, I connected with the characters because I felt like they were doing what I would probably do. Okay, so that brings me, I guess, to another point and one that me and Joe were talking about as far as whether it's horror or not. And I'm not saying that this is something that makes it not horror. And I'm sure that people can think of dozen exceptions when you say this. But I think at least for my money, this movie spends a lot more time dwelling on characters and trying to... It's not like it's a full-on character study, but it's more of a character study than you generally get in the horror genre. And so that doesn't necessarily mean that it isn't. Because you do get character studies in horror sometimes, like uh, Silence of the Lambs is a good example, one that we kind of mentioned just me and Joe and talking about it a little bit before. So, I mean, you do get character studies, but it happens a little bit less so within this genre. And so that makes me lean towards it. The feel of the movie comes off a little closer to a thriller than it does horror for me. Maybe partly because of that reason. I think another thing, and we talked about, Steve and I talked about this a little bit, but uh, one of the things that kind of made me feel like it maybe wasn't horror was uh, the amount of time you spend kind of behind the curtain and watching Patrick Stewart and his cronies like make their plans. I mean, it's a character study on the, the green room crowd, but it's also a bit of a, you see a lot more of how all the skinheads are feeling. I don't know, you end up not necessarily empathizing with them, but like you can see what they're about a little bit more. I guess like all that takes a little of the uh, unknown and the mystery out of it, which I guess made it feel less horror-ish to me. 
if you took all that out and focused more on more the more of the unknown, it would have been a lesser movie to me. Like I, I wouldn't have liked it as much because, you know, for one, it was great to see Patrick Stewart just seamlessly slip into the role of a, you know, maniacal villain. <laughs> In terms of like assessing whether it's horror or not, I really didn't feel at any point throughout the movie that I was watching a horror movie. It felt like a thriller, and it definitely feels like one of those movies that gets classified into the horror genre, probably mostly because of the gore, which I don't think a horror movie makes just having gore, because then you could call Saving Private Ryan a a horror movie. Right. Yeah, I definitely lean more into the idea of I can't be 100% sure on all the elements that go into it, but I'm kind of coalescing in my head as we do these. I think it's more of a cocktail of things. Like you've got, we'll say almost, you know, you've got maybe a dozen or so tools on your shelf and just pulling one off and using it doesn't make it a horror movie. But if you pull three or four of them off the shelf, then that puts it into that category. Right. So I think gore is definitely one of those tools. But like you say, just using that tool isn't enough. I think seeing behind the curtain definitely lends it more towards being a thriller than a horror movie, just because if you want your audience to feel off balance or scared about the antagonist that you're dealing with, then it works better if you can dehumanize them, if you can sort of make them a little bit more elemental, like personify them as evil. And I kind of talked a bit about how that's something you get, for instance, in Halloween, right? It's still a human. We'll we'll just go with the first movie, mind you, not going any further into the cult of the Black Thorn and all the other crazy stuff that happens in more supernatural layers of it later and whether or not, you know, he can he should be able to survive all this stuff. But watching the first movie, it's just an unbalanced guy in a mask, right? And you know that, but you don't get to visit his motivations. You don't hear him ever talk or discuss those things. You don't see him without the mask planning the attack, deciding where he's going to go. You don't see him break. He never feels vulnerable. You you do get a lot of that in Green Room. You see Patrick Stewart's character break a couple times, right? Like he has an outburst of anger against uh, Gabe's character. The kind of, I guess it describes him as club employee slash he's skinhead, but he gets his laces later. But anyway, he, you know, he kind of has that angry outburst at him. And then at the end of the movie, he kind of snaps and is kind of like, I'm held at gunpoint. I'm supposed to be in control. I don't know what to do. And just kind of walks off because he doesn't know what to do with himself. Seeing him break, seeing the neo-Nazis kind of bumbling, having a couple of them have these crises where they're like, one guy is obviously trying to get out of it. And the other guy is deciding during the course of the film he doesn't want to be involved with it anymore. Those things, humanizing those characters, takes away that mystique. So then it's one group of people against another group of people. And it feels less like a horror movie for those reasons. Which I'm really glad that you brought up that point because I was having a really hard time putting my finger on it. But like that really coalesced it for me. Yeah. <laughs> I would agree with that. And as you were saying that, I was kind of thinking of like, if the main characters were kind of in a situation where they're like, why are they doing this to us? Like, why is this happening? And then they break into that next room and find like these hidden secrets and 
that reveals to them the reason why this is happening, then I probably would have put it into a horror movie. But, you know, from the very beginning, they know why they're in there. They know why they're not letting them leave. And so there is no mystery for them and no mystery, therefore, for the audience. And I think if you have like a dark secret or a dark mystery in combination with the gore and in combination with the suspense, then maybe you call this a horror movie completely. And it's like there is a little bit of a secret, but the stuff's so on the, I don't know, so being more on the sleeve of the movie that, I mean, you know that there's something up with Tad's cousin, but that's not a big deal. I mean, and it's not, it's not like it's a huge reveal when you find out, oh, he liked this girl and she died and they were getting out. And you're kind of like, okay, that makes sense. And then it's like, oh, they were involved in the drug trade. That's not that surprising because he just kind of casually gives some drugs out from the safe. So again, it's kind of like, yeah, like there, there's no big mystery surrounding who it is and why they're doing it. Like you saw a murder. We can't have you leave. We don't want to be guilty for it. That stuff's all right there out in the open, playing his day the whole time through. Yeah, and, and even when, like like you said, when, when they do crack into, I guess, what is, a, what is a heroin lab there, you know, you just, you don't really care that that's a heroin lab. This is just another room that they can't get out of. <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't right. change the situation other than maybe to say, like, here's just one more reason you guys aren't getting out of here alive. Right. It would have been an interesting movie to not see the other side of things and to just have it be the green room guy, green, green room crowd. And like you'd get the moment, you know, like where the lights get shut off and they're just in the like pitch black darkness and you don't know what's going on. But then it, you know, it cuts out to the outside and Patrick Stewart's characters up there, like telling the crowd, Oh, we had a breaker trip. You know, everybody go home. Sorry. That was my Patrick Stewart impression. It was perfect. I thought I was in the room with him. <laughs> I thought Patrick Stewart was here with us today. <laughs> I Yeah, for a second, I just assumed Ian McKellen was going to walk in here. You guys are going to take Instagram photos together. <laughs> I'm a lobster in a bathtub. <laughs> um. Anyways. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you wouldn't have seen that and it just went dark and then... You know, the lights come back on, but you never get the explanation as to why that happened. Or, you know, you get the moments when Darcy, I guess, Patrick Stewart's character, comes to the door and talks to him for a bit and then leaves. But then if you wouldn't have gotten his side of things and it was just sort of this disembodied voice making ultimatums to them, then it would have been... And then them just kind of dealing with it, it would have been more scary, I guess. But it, I think that would have made it a lesser movie. I, I really liked seeing both sides of it, and it was much more thought-provoking, I thought. I would agree. I wouldn't change anything about the way that the movie was shot. But yeah, to, if you wanted to classify it as horror, I think that there would have to be some kind of changes to how it was portrayed. I think another element, too, that at least kind of had me putting it in the horror category previously and we'll see how you guys feel about this but because i always kind of think of uh tropes in horror movies and that making other horror movies horror movies which i feel like tropes like i like the 
the idea of saying, okay, if you're dealing with vampires in a movie, vampires are a horror movie trope, and more than likely it's it's a vampire movie. If they're if if it's a vampire movie, it's more than likely a horror movie, right? And so I think you get that with some tropes where you're like, okay, if you're playing in this sandbox, traditionally this sandbox is horror. I think the thing that I look at a movie like this is that sieges, to me, having a siege situation where you have a bunch of people sequestered from a force outside of that room, that space that are trying to kill them, that feels very much like a horror trope to me. And it's not like that doesn't happen in non-horror movies, but it happens, I feel like, more often than them. And maybe that's me just being like, cutting my teeth in horror on zombie movies where sieges and zombie movies just go hand in hand constantly. What do you guys feel about that being a horror trope? So I guess for my part, I I mean, I've never specifically thought of uh, siege situations being inherently a horror trope. I can, I guess now that you're saying that and, th- and thinking about it a little bit more, I can, I can see that. There's, you know, plenty of horror movies that are like that. I guess I can, you know, think of some exceptions, but yeah, I don't know. I guess I hadn't thought of it being necessarily a trope of horror before, for my part. When you brought it up, what came to mind, funny enough, was not a zombie movie, but I was thinking about From Dust Till Dawn. Yeah. Actually, this movie gave me a, a lot of vibes like from dusk till dawn where that movie is clearly horror because they're vampires and this movie is not horror to me because it's because of all the reasons that we've said but i don't think that being a siege kind of situation inherently makes it horror the feeling of being trapped is something that's not necessarily exclusive to horror It's true, and you can definitely run into thriller territory and deal with that. And it's definitely a loose trope as far as that goes, right? Because, like you say, there's plenty of movies where a siege sort of situation hits and it doesn't have to be a horror movie. Probably, I don't end up watching a lot of war movies, but there's probably a lot more out there that exist that also play with that same trope. And of course, you know, action movies deal with it to a degree, being locked into a location, being kind of surrounded, trying to have to survive. I mean, in a way, that's kind of diehard as well, right? So, yeah. And the other thing, too, when you do run into a siege sort of situation in a horror movie, it tends to have some sort of like faceless evil on the outside kind of thing. I mean, you think of The Mist, for instance, as kind of a siege sort of situation. It's all these alien creatures kind of surrounding the grocery store that they're in but then you run into stuff that's not like there's assault on precinct 13 which is a siege situation it's a gang and they're kind of dehumanized but you don't it's not shot in such a way that you think of it as a horror movie but i don't know i just i guess that's one of those things where it's not a hundred percent but if you say to me there's a bunch of people they're stuck in a location and there's creatures people something outside trying to get to them my head usually goes for hey this is a horror film Hmm. and i think maybe that's why i've always kind of looked at this as a horror movie before more recently and obviously for all the reasons that we've talked about kind of leaning more towards the idea of it's that it's not, that it's more of a thriller. 
but I think maybe that's at least why I always wanted to kind of put it in that category without really thinking about it too much. That makes sense. Yeah, I guess for my head, I, I think I've, if you described a siege situation to me, I think my head would lean a little more towards like, like we've said, like some of the like war, wartime movies and stuff like that. And like one, like say Lord of the Rings when they're stuck in the, the Helm's Deep and stuff like that. So yeah, my head doesn't immediately go to horror, but I can see what you're saying for sure. Especially too, if you take some of the context out of it and you say, hey, there's a bunch of young kids who are stuck in a building and it's surrounded by Nazis trying to kill them. Yeah. Like you would assume, oh, it's happening during World War II and this is clearly a war film or some historical fiction event that happens. Yeah. Yeah, when you say it like that, like <laughs> it's definitely not horror. It sounds like, <laughs> sounds like something completely different. <laughs> Another thing that I... Uh, we've, we've said in some previous episodes that like one thing that's a big uh factor is intent the intent of the directors or writers or whoever watching this movie i wasn't ever specifically scared it was a very tense movie i was you know tense most of the way through it but i was never scared per se disturbed yeah but uh i don't know that i would say that i was I didn't ever feel like they were trying to scare me per se. And I think that leads into some of the things like, like we've said previously, like I think it was a really good point to say like they kind of in place of jump scares, they used sort of raw violence instead. But it's not like it wasn't a jump out and scare you. It was like, oh, this thing's terrible. And I think that's kind of interesting too because I have watched a couple interviews with Jeremy Saulnier about this movie and he has even described it as a horror movie which is interesting so I don't know if maybe that's I mean at the end of the day he seems like he is he is a bit of a, you know an artistic person I think you probably run into that a lot with directors but there's plenty that I wouldn't say are artistic sorry Michael Bay <laughs> not sorry <laughs> not sorry but um but, you know, I, I think he seems like the sort of person that, yeah, he set out to make a horror movie or at least have in parts to have a horror movie because he kind of describes it as having like some slasher elements in the DNA of the film. And, and maybe to a degree, because while you don't have a single protagonist cutting through people, you do have them kind of being cut up and the teens, teens being cut up is basically what slasher movies usually are. And not that these necessarily have to be teens, but, you know, young adults being cut up. So he sort of described it himself as a horror movie, but I don't think that he'd be the least bit upset for people to say, like, yeah, it's a thriller and it's an excellent movie, but horror, not so much. So I guess this is one of those things where I think it's clear, at least in interviews, his intent was that it was at least partly a horror movie, but that's not enough to kick it over for me at this point. Yeah, I think my... Final pronouncement is that I did enjoy the movie, but yeah, it's, I would firmly say this is not a horror movie in my opinion. I think for me, I'm enough on the bubble that I could, I, I'm sitting, I'm sitting mostly on the side of the fence that this is not horror, but uh, one, I'm one good argument and shove away from like falling <laughs> back on the other side of the fence again. <laughs> but I think at least for right now where I land on it is, uh, yeah, I'd say it's not horror. It's a thriller. It's got some elements there, but it's not enough to kick it over. 
Yeah, that's yeah, that's where I fall to. It's just uh, for me, the thing that did it was just seeing too much of behind the curtain and seeing what the antagonists are, what they're more like, and having not so much mystery there. And anyways, that was that was at least one of the things for me. I feel like it is not horror. That is my final vote. I just thought if anybody's like on the fence of whether or not they want to watch this movie, I really, really liked Patrick Stewart's performance. It was very different from a lot of things that I've ever seen him in, especially the scenes where he is talking to them through the door, which is funny because, you know, that's the scene that you would kind of think would be the most difficult because he can't act with his body or with his face. But when he is speaking to them through the door, those scenes are particularly excellent acting, in my opinion, which is worth nothing and backed by no credentials. But <laughs> the the acting well, you know, if the, if they're here, they trust you. <laughs> the the acting from him, particularly in those like negotiation scenes, was like, wow, this is really really good stuff. Yeah, he did such a good job, and like like you said, like it's not a type of role you normally see him in, and he just he just did an an outstanding job, like you said. It made me want to see him as a. Uh as a bad guy more often <laughs> this is a random side i was thinking to myself i've been thinking about this for a bit like is there any other movie that i can think of where patrick stewart plays a bad guy and uh i did come up with one and it is completely unrelated but i just feel i don't know the fact that i can think of another one but there was this other one that was called mastermind and it's like it was like Die Hard for kids. And I remember him being the bad guy in that and it feeling so awkward and wonky. But anyway, it's just, uh, oh, I don't know. Anyway, go yeah, go ahead and check that movie out if you want to. But honestly, you should just probably, you're probably better off watching Green Room because Green Room is just, it's a great movie. But anyway, so yeah, there's at least one other one I could think of and that one didn't work out so well. So he can definitely do it, but I guess it's not a done deal just because he's doing it. <laughs> oh, uh, there was one thing that, uh, this was a, a point that I think we talked about right after watching the movie was just, uh, it's not anything about like, you know, is it horror or not, but it's just a really kind of interesting thing about the movie. We were talking about the, uh, just how the dogs behave. And I thought that was a good, uh, analogy that you made. Like, cause like, you know, at the end, they're all worried about the dog, but the dog just goes over and lays down by its dead human. And it's just sort of, I think, an interesting point. Cause it's just like, it's just a dog and. You know, the dog was only being scary and only doing the terrible things that it was doing because of what the human told it to do. I don't want to act like it's my idea, so maybe you should take over. <laughs> but uh... no, I yeah, I just I thought it was an interesting kind of um, I think there was a point to it. Right. Showing that at the end is kind of a metaphor to say like these. uh and I don't know if maybe this is what Jeremy Saulnier is getting at, is that the idea that people aren't necessarily good or evil. At the end of the day, they're just people. And maybe that's why he's spending so much time kind of humanizing people on both sides of it. 
is to say that there no one on either side is inherently evil. There's choices and there's life and there's people that are influencing you. And especially within the you know neo Nazi movement, there's I don't think that anybody is born thinking I'm going to be a neo Nazi, right? Like things happen, they're influenced, they have the wrong influences, people pushing them into one direction or another, and kind of saying like this is the right thing to do. You go here, you make these choices, and your life's going to be better. And I think that you kind of get that same thing, right? Because this guy, at the end of the day, he's training his dogs to be fight dogs, which is a horrible thing that anyone could ever do to an animal. But they still love him. And they still care about him. And I think you get that same content here with the neo-Nazis in their group, right? Like, they they probably do love Darcy, Patrick Stewart's character, as their leader, thinking that he's this good guy that saved them. But ultimately, they're the same lost person looking for belonging, for validation, and uh, absent of those influences, then maybe, you know, maybe they go back to what they are, which is just they're not a threat. They're just another human trying to understand their place in this world. And so it's too bad that you do have those influences and they do find those people. But at the same time, it's heartening just as you see the dog that's not a threat without some human goading it to do so. You also see, um, let's see, what's his character's name? Um, Gabe's character who ends up turning away from it, giving them some assistance and then finding the cops. Uh, you know, you had the same, you had the parallel between the dog and himself. Like he's, he's only as vicious as he's feeling goaded to be. And outside of those influences, he can still be a good person, set them aside and, and be human, you know? Yeah, he's a really interesting character, and I think it's a really great metaphor. And, uh, you know, you see his kind of struggle throughout the movie, and at the end when he's sort of off-leash or off-lead or whatever you want to say, he like, he does go back to being like, okay, I yeah, I don't want to be a part of this. But if Darcy was still there, you know, with behind him. him the whole time calling yeah. shots yeah yeah then yeah anyways i thought it was a good metaphor yeah i like that too i, I hadn't uh i definitely felt things about the dogs when i was initially watching but it didn't uh come up in my head to mention here so i was glad that you guys mentioned that cool any other closing thoughts nope All right well thanks for joining us here at is it horror i've been steve I've been Joe. I'm still Matt. Bye. 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 On our next episode, we discuss the killing of a sacred deer. Thanks for joining us at Is It Horror. We post new episodes every other Friday. Think we didn't give this movie a fair shake? Think we missed something? Do you have a suggestion for future episodes? Do you just want to say hi? You can follow us at Is It Horror on Twitter. We have a Discord server coming soon. You can also email us at isithorrorpodcast at gmail.com. In the meantime, stay safe and keep asking yourself, Is it horror?